I want to let you know about a new course that I'm starting on Monday, June 7th. It's called Concepts in Kabbalah. And it's your opportunity to really spend some face-to-face time with me outside of the podcast. We have these small groups. It's interesting. It gives you the ability to really delve into Kabbalah in a way that you haven't been able till now. And I love them. They're inspirational. They're fun. And they're a great way to spend your evenings. And you, just, you can do it from the comfort of your own home. So please join me. You can either click on the link in the show notes here or go to theloverabbi.com. That's T-H-E-L-O-V-E-R-A-B-B-I.com. And I'm really looking forward to seeing you there. And now on with today's class. Today we're opening up a new element of Kabbalah. And that is the, the purpose and the desire of creation. We want to try to understand why Hashem would want to create this world. Now, we finished off last week with this idea of tanuk, of desire or pleasure. So, today we're going to open up the next chapter. The next chapter is that God desired what is called a dira bitachtonim, which means a dwelling place in the lower realms. We're also going to cover a number of very important new ideas. The first of all, the, the, the first is going to be called Nisave. Nisave is a spiritual lust. So the only way we can understand Hashem's lust, it's obviously a metaphor, is by understanding our own lust. And we'll get to that soon. The next concept we're going to talk about is called Mitzad Tachtonim. Mitzad Tachtonim. I'm going to go over them again and again. Generated from our perspective. That Mitzad from Tachtonim from the lower realms, which means our, we're called Tachtonim. Tachtonim is the lower realms. The lower realms. From the lower realms perspective. Then, there is etzem. We're going to get to the essence. And within etzem, there's two elements. There's kol etzem, bilte, mischalek, which means that every essence is indivisible. And then kol etzem, bilte, mispashet, that every essence is non-extensible. Can you repeat the first and the second? I'll, I'll go through it later on. I'm just giving you an idea of what we're going to talk about. Giluyim, which are very important, they're manifestations. And Ma. Ma is how Kabbalah refers to as the 45-letter name of God. Why Ma? Memhe is 45. So, Instead of saying the 45-letter name of Hashem, which is against the Torah biblically to say this name, ever for us to say this name, so therefore we just call it Ma. Table of yes. Is it, is, it a, is it one of his names, Ma? No, Ma is representation of the 45 letters. Mem and He is 45. I understand. That's it. That, and you'll find that a lot throughout the teachings that... You know, which also in Hebrew is ma, you know when you go to yeah. Israel, like, ma. ma, exactly. <laughs> so, let's get started. But let's first understand, huh? Sorry, when you said, when, when you started prayer, it's like, ma you'll, you'll start seeing it more and more. Ma <laughs> Okay, now, it's first important for us to understand Dira Petach which means that it's our job to make a dwelling place, to make a house for Hashem in this world. Just like we have a home in this world, Hashem needs to have a home in this world. And the only way that Hashem can have a home is in the traditional sense, the woman is the homemaker. We are Hashem's wife, according to Kabbalah, because at Sinai we married Hashem and Hashem is our husband. 
And so therefore, it's our responsibility to be the homemaker for Hashem in the traditional sense. The Medrash says the following idea, that Hashem has a desire to have a home. That Hashem desired to have a home here and not anywhere else. Now, I want to just make sure that you understand that before we started talking about this, this was a little Medrash Yalkut Shmoni that no one really ever paid attention to. And all of a sudden, the Baal Shem Tov kind of brought it to the forefront. Because there's so many other scriptural passages that state that Olam Abba is, so, is like... So That's right. There's, there's a lot of those. So this is what I would say would be one of the main differences between um, this school of thought compared to other Jewish philosophical schools of thought. Where there's a lot of, as you said, Jewish philosophical schools of thought that focus on the world to come. Here, we believe that the most important thing we can do is make a home for Hashem in this world. And the world to come, we're not, we're not worried about. That is our most important job in this world. Make a world for Hashem. Rabbi knew he made a class on that to like a bunch of like yeshivish people and everyone was like dumbfounded. They right. were, it was rep, like... Well, because in, in most schools of thought, the entire, every, what, what a lot of... A lot of teachings will say is everything we're doing in this world is so that we can have a nice, beautiful, golden seed in the world to come. First of all, first of all, even if it were true, okay? Which is absolutely insane. But first of all, even if it were true, I would say that we would be better off completely doing away with that idea and not even talking about it. Because number one, there's just too much of a risk that we're creating a self-serving fantasy. Okay? It is. It's much a risk. It is. A, what do you mean? Well, it's not a risk. It but is. I, I That's exactly it, what it is. Even if I want to say, okay, I don't know for a fact, maybe it is all about the Olam okay, rationally, I'm like, okay, I, I'm willing to go with that, that, that proposition and not deny it because I don't have the, the knowledge to deny it, okay? Denying things is extremely difficult, as you know, from a rational point of view. It's a black swan argument. There are no black swans. All there, I just need to see one partly black swan. My argument is dead. It's the weakest argument. There is just like there is nothing in the cosmos that is indicative of meaning or intention or desire. Exactly. Uh, kind of very difficult to maintain that rationally, right? So it's like it's like okay, there's no doubt about. I can't say that because it's extremely hard to make that negation. But even if there were an about, okay, it's such a fertile ground for self-serving fantasies of human beings. That's how we work. That's, that's the way we think. And so if we start creating this other world where we have no ability to really have a direct relationship and experience with, right? We have no ability to keep our fantasies in check. No ability to keep our fantasies in check. It's too dangerous of a fiction and it's too dangerous. And I'm going to add another element to it, which I think is, is even simpler than yours. Yeah. If the entire purpose of being in this world is to get to Olam then why bother being here in the first place? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's enough, was it enough? <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, if, if this is only a stepping stone and everything we're doing here is so we can get our golden seed in heaven, then let's just go straight to heaven. Why do we have to skip, as we say in today's terms, skip the middleman? Well, that's it. It's almost like this, this world is almost like a punishment then. Like right. all the suffering, everything. Look, and we know. It's like, why? Why is it? Well, it's just, you're just waiting for Olam Abba. Okay, it's, you end up negating life. You know? Didn't God create this world too? Like, it's, we know that guy, Hanoch, right? Enoch. Sure. Yeah, who lived yeah. very okay. famous, right? He, he was a very holy man. And he said, Hashem, this world is corrupt, me and you. Hashem said, me and you? Fine, you're out of here. And he died young. <laughs> so... If, if you take that as an example, there's absolutely no way that we can possibly say philosophically that the reason for us being here is so that we can get a golden seed in the world to come. But I will add by saying that this is a unique proposition in all of Jewish thought. Unique to this, to this way of thinking. You will not find many other Jewish philosophies that will um, even talk or even allude to this idea and this way of thinking. So, let's, let's continue on this thought now that we've just established that it's unique. This is explained in Vitania, and the basis of the saying found in the Medrash Tanchuma. The Alter Rebbe, 
who was the first Chabad Rebbe, explains that Nisave HaKadosh Baruch Hu Liyais means that God desired an abode on earth. It refers specifically to this mundane, to this physical world, that Hashem desired. Now, desire is a very, very big term, and we're going to talk about it in a few minutes. But Hashem desired... No problem. A dwelling place in this world... The Alter Rebbe continues to explain that the higher worlds discussed in Kabbalah are all spiritual. They are all worlds of revelation. They're all worlds that were created by God, but they were created spiritually. But the essence of God cannot be grasped through spiritual revelation. If you want to try to touch God's essence... By us. No, no, even for even for us, I'm which means for us. which means, and this is a very powerful thing. Spirituality. Let's say you think spirituality is going to the mountains of Tibet, and and sitting there in a silent retreat for a week, and there you're going to find spirituality. There's no way that spirituality will be found in the mountains of Tibet. Yes, there's going to be spiritual elements because it's still a physical world. But you can't remove yourself from this world and expect that you're going to find spirituality by removing yourself from this world. Isn't that, isn't that the very essence of the concept of holiness or sacredness? Is that, is that it's something specific here that is imbued with the spiritual... Elevated spiritual state, right? That's the concept of something that, sacred. That is unique to post-Sinai. Because be- before Sinai, mm. nothing in this world could be spiritual. Mm. But today we can take tree and sulfur and make a holy book and study from it. And that mm. tree and sulfur now becomes elevated and becomes holy. Mm. But you see, that, that the whole concept of holiness for us is that it's not just out there. Just out there is we, we can't relate to it. Holiness is something we can relate to. It's not, it's not theoretical. It. It's very tangible. It's very tangible. It's very tangible. You have a choice. It's a right? mix of tangibility and spiritual elevation, right? You have that, a choice. That's, that's, you can take this coffee that, that, that you're drinking now, and you can take that, that energy that the coffee is going to give you for the next hour, and you can use it for mm-hmm. good, and you can use it, use it for not good. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. whatever you decide as a human being, whether you're going to elevate the coffee or you're not going to elevate the coffee. That's a very real thing. You can decide as a human being whether or not you're going to elevate the coffee. So why did God desire a presence in this world? Ah, there's the great question. This is the question we're going to start answering. How about another question? Sure. If God created this world... Why why couldn't God desire this world? If God has created... Did he create it and and then abandon it? Perspective. That's a very, it's a very popular perspective. Yeah. It's very easy. It's a very easy. Again, a very, again, by the way, in general, serious. it's not a serious proposition. In general, passivity is very easy. Anyone can say passivity. No, but it's, it's not, it's a not serious, complicated. No, no, I'm it's, just it's, asking because if, if God created this world, yeah. then wouldn't the essence of God be in this world already? That's right. Mm. So that's already a different perspective. But we already, we've already gone through that by explaining the power of the Simpson, right? So we know the essence of God is here, but the essence of God has been filtered. Hidden to, from us. Hidden, no, filtered to so many degrees. But it, we say every morning, like in Yitzhak, oh, that like, we thank him for constantly renewing his creation. So it's, he's constantly creating. But... Andrew, your questions are the very basis of Kabbalah. These are very, what, what you're getting to are the, the very basic Kabbalistic questions, which are, are very important. And this is what we're going to start getting into over the next couple of weeks. So, but if God, you see, this, this is the deist perspective, deism, okay, which was popular for hundreds of years. It was, it was all of the original scientists and all of the original, like, big thinkers in the West were all men of faith. But they all believed that God created the earth and then we let, like, let it go and split and then split <laughs> and so it's like okay we can understand the world physically materially but like there's no real point in seeking a connection to god or anything like that it's like just focus here and now and whatever but think about it it's not serious it's not a serious proposition because if god created the world 
okay? Then there must be, so, okay, so think about that, first of all, what does that mean? It's all the laws if, of nature. What, it, why, if God has created the world, then? Yeah, no, that's, 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 right. that's if. No, but then, then, it's like, then it's like, okay, so, no, but let, let's just look at this, right? right. Look, so God created the world. So, God exercised um, something akin to his will, or his desire, or his choice, or his freedom, in designing it precisely this way. And not that way over there. Exactly. It's this way, okay? And so by virtue of that, the world that we have, the laws of nature that we have, the way reality is, is wired together that we have, is itself part of the essence of God. Must be, right? Exactly. So this whole idea of like created and I left, it's like, it's an anthropomorphism. Again, Maimonides would be furious at these people. It's an anthropomorphism. It's like, I created this phone and then I left it there and you can do whatever you want with it. It's like, it's again, we are, we are stuck in an analogy. That's, it's, it's actually an analogy of an analogy. It's an analogy of an analogy. Because the initial analogy was used as an analogy of the, of the essence. That's right. And this is an analogy of the analogy. That's right. That's right. So it's, we end up being locked in, 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 in our, our, our metaphors that are immediately available to us. Well, this is I think, I think that if you... What? <laughs> no, no. No, no. I, I'm not directing this at you. It's a very popular it's kind perspective. Of, it's kind of like very, Alice in Wonderland. That's what it is. Mm. It's an Alice in Wonderland perspective. I'm just using ideas as probes. Yeah, of course. And these ideas are, have been, are massively, massively uh, diffused out there and, and distributed. And most people who want to believe in God, but they don't really fully understand, have that perspective. Okay, so that, perspective. that argument is called deism? Deism, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, yeah. So now let's, let's continue. So, we've established that the essence of God cannot be grasped through a spiritual revelation. So then, this material world, as a place of spiritual darkness, is really the only place where God's essence can be revealed. Because it's not spiritual. It's material. So the word nisaveh, in this context needs interpretation. The normal word in the Hebrew language, meaning want, is ratza, ratzon. So when describing God's desire for creation, the more appropriate word would be ratza ha-kadosh baruch We see that quite a bit throughout the prayers, ratza ha-kadosh baruch But Kabbalah explains that the choice of the word nisaveh and not ratza not only communicates the purpose of creation, which is the what in creation, but also who involved in creation. So let's understand this. We have to first take a step back. We have to understand the reasons for creation. In Kabbalah, there are several reasons mentioned why God created the world. One reason is that since God's nature is good, which means that it's natural for the good to do good. For example, a person who truly, who's truly good won't be able to function unless they're performing some kind of acts of loving kindness. And actually, the proof is that if they're not performing acts of loving kindness, they become depressed. Abraham, Abraham for example... For example, the story of Abraham, and even people in the world today. There are people who, their, their nature is good, and they have no choice. If you don't give them some good to do, then they're going to be depressed. This type of individual is going to, like Abraham finding the angels, is going to seek other people to help. They're going to do it. You, you, you put them in the middle of a forest, they're going to find someone to help. You put them in the middle of a desert, like Abraham, they're going to go find some strangers to help. Even if it means God has to send the strangers. But they won't be satisfied unless they find someone to help. So following this logic, God, being naturally good, seeks something to bestow his goodness upon. God is also a nature good. So God needs something to be good to. 
So Kabbalah says that is why this world was created. This world was created so that God, whose essence is good, whose nature is good, has something to bestow goodness upon. Beautiful thing. You know, you're n- not going to be able to get away with this for very long without Hold on. addressing the issue of suffering. Wait, wait, wait. But I'm just wait. letting you know. <laughs> Kabbalah is not accepting this as the final reason for creation because, as Fred says, there's so many other elements of this world that are much more complicated yeah. than this very simplified yeah. version of the reason why God created the world. Why? Why doesn't Kabbalah accept this? Because God transcends nature. God acts in supernatural ways when he so desires. So to say that God's nature is good is a limitation on God's true infinity. If you're just going to say that God is good and God's nature is good and God wanted to bestow kindness upon a creation, so therefore God created this world, that is so limiting to an infinite God. That's all you think of God? <laughs> That's it? That's the best you can do? So, let's take an example. A person who is compelled by their nature, even though they do great benevolent acts, yet this very virtue of character limits them to always being good. There are times when the same person needs to be strict, when the same person needs to be severe, and yet he isn't able to free himself from his good nature. Which means if you're always good, you're never good. In contemporary terms, this is someone who can't say no, a yes man. We don't, we don't necessarily like a yes man. We think yes man is good, but yes man is not good. Yes men can get into a lot of trouble. Oh my God, yes. Yes men uh, allow also terrible things to pass through. Absolutely. The, the they, tolerance they, is, becomes, in the end, tolerance. They become enablers. Yeah. They become enablers. Yes. Yes men become yes. The, the passive in many ways. They become the instruments of evil very easily. Right? Hannah Iran, the banality of let, let me just ask you, uh, the, go back to something that you said, that God's essence can only be revealed through this world, because this world is precisely because this world is material and not just spiritual. That's, That's right. What, uh, so it reminds me of, 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 of a concept that you said before, I think during the class, the first class that we took, where you said that God desired the limited world. Right. Because before the limited world, he was... He was limited to being unlimited. Right. It's kind of like a little bit that idea, right? Yes. Well, we'll do, this is the next step. We're, okay. we're going to get to this. This is and, the next step. And this is kind of like what you're saying, but like the, the spiritual nature really can only be revealed. Right. It's almost like when you give an equation, you can't use the, the X on both sides of the equation. You haven't done anything. That's right. Right? If the X equal 2X divided by It's two, not even an equation. Nothing. It's not even an nothing, equation. Right? I'm sorry. No problem. I'm drinking your word here and I have to go. I have to move to the at 10, unfortunately. It's good to see you. Thank you so much. So, have a good day. You too. So, it's almost like that idea that, like, that, that, that God's essence could only be revealed via a completely other reference point. Like, that's materiality. That's right. So that, that that's right. Limited. But you're, you, you have the right idea, but you're, you're skipping a couple of steps ahead. I'm sure. Yeah. But yes, you, it's a right synthesis. Okay. So, let's apply this, this yes man, or the person who can't say no to God, as for the analogy. To say God's nature is good is basically saying that God is limited and forced to act in a certain way that is simply as not true. So, when God so desires, God manifests himself in what we call good. And when he so desires to act in a matter that we perceive as strict, that we perceive as strict, that is also his choice. Remember, this world is all our perception. Mm-hmm. What we may think is good or what we, we may think is not good may not be truly good or not good. 
We don't know because we're, we're, we don't have a bird's eye view of our lives. And we definitely don't have a bird's eye view of this world. So it's for this reason that Kabbalah rejects the explanation as the ultimate purpose of creation. God could just as easily have created the world in such a way that his actions would be based on his supernatural qualities, which aren't necessarily limited to projecting goodness in the format adapted to our way of life and understanding of the universe. Now let's go to another reason. But that's not a reason for creation, no. per se. No, no, it's, we're, it's we're, we're about... actually rejecting the reason at this that's point. Right. The first reason is since God nature is good, he seeks something to be... No, I think, I think it's an important thing to, to address. Yeah. It's an important thing to, to put into the context of our narrative, but it's a rejected reason because it fails to be truly the essence of God, which is infinite. It's creating too much finitity, is that a word, I guess? Finitude. Finitude to the infinite God. Another reason that Kabbalah mentions for creation is that God wanted someone to appreciate his creation. So he created the physical, mundane world with people being the subjects. Again, here Kabbalah doesn't accept this as the ultimate reason for creation because the heavenly realms that were created appreciate his greatness much more than we do to a certain extent. And this world is full of klipa. This world is full of negative energy and the wicked prosper. And here in this world, humans must struggle to appreciate God and we face tests on a daily basis, mm-hmm. just to control human passions. So why would God in his infinite wisdom create a world that conceals him if he truly wanted his subjects to appreciate his creation? <laughs> that kind of is a... Uh... Because you only appreciate when you get it, for, like you get it honored by yourself. If it's rare. God wanted to be rare. Uh, the Atri Rebbe <laughs> and Tanya, this is, what he, this is what he said. He said, it doesn't make sense. For, for an infinite God who wants the finite creatures to appreciate him, to, to hide himself. The Alter Rebbe also says... But a little that, bit what, what Yama says yeah. is, that, is, that, is that if something is ever-present, then are you really appreciating it? Mm. Hold on, wait, wait, wait. But right. he gave us free will, so we can, like... That's what he wants. Wait, he wait. He will precisely for us to reject his wisdom. Exactly. And, and have to work. You're starting to, you're starting to, to marinate. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the Alter Rebbe continues to say that these spiritual worlds are a descent and a digression in comparison to God's essence. They are not the ultimate reason for creation. Let me use a metaphor. Since there are always other lower worlds below those spiritual realms, the spiritual realms aren't the ultimate reason for creation. Otherwise, why would God create something lower? There's no reason for God to create something lower and more coarse than those spiritually refined levels. Yeah, but then what about rocks? Exactly. Even, if, 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 there's if always going to be... Us, exactly, there's always going to be something lower there. Rocks are more, have more purpose than we do. Exactly, based on this interpretation. Right. Exactly, that's, that's part of the flaw. Based on this interpretation, the meaning of since they are a descent means that there is a descent and something even lower. So... If this is the case, then it's obvious that God desired something lower. In fact, God desired the lowest of the low. Maybe the inanimate as well. Therefore, Kabbalah says that God's desire to have someone to appreciate his creation cannot be the ultimate reason for creating this world. So, let's ask again. What is the ultimate reason for creation? You know what the answer is? What's the answer? To 
to discover him? Yes, exactly. Say, what's the answer? You got it. Yes. How could we know the answer? There is no answer. Yes, that's what Rabbi you was saying. What's the reason why there's a God? If there's a reason, we should worship that reason. Exactly. exactly. The moment there's a reason, we should start worshiping that reason. You follow that, that, train, that train, and you get to, now I'm at five. One, two, three, four, five. I'm at the fifth You seven. have to come to when the conclusion. The fifth, seven, I'm like, you have oh. to come to the conclusion, <laughs> and this is the most important thing. How do we start? If you remember the first thing we started right in the beginning, we said we have to understand the limits of our understanding. There's always going to be a point. We, I don't, we know, it's so interesting. In, 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 um, do you have a coin on you? Yeah, I do. In, 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 in illusions, in the process of illusion, okay? So... If you do, let's say you use a very, take a coin, right? And you do what's called the French drop. A French drop goes like this, right? So now, I'll, I'll explain to you how this works. I'll explain to you how a French drop works. Very impressive. What? Very impressive. Okay, so the French drop, this is how it works, okay? The way it works mm-hmm. is that somehow you think that I have eight fingers. You actually think that when I take this, I have, I have eight fingers, when really I only have four and I have one thumb. So. The moment I, I, I grab it, you can't figure out well, how is it not in this hand. It has to be in this hand. It's, there's no way that it can't be in this hand. Right? Because you think there's eight fingers. So that's, that is the limits of our understanding. And I think magic is able to do that very, very easily and kind of trick your eyes. Right? Am I tricking you? No, I'm not tricking you. I can explain to you exactly how it's done. It's a very simple, it's a very simple process. But the illusion is, and this is the illusion of the entire world, the illusion is that you think there's more or there's less to this world than there really is. Well, here's here's the right thing, here. You see, see. But 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 wait, 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 wait. I'm gonna now. I'm gonna take. You see, you're accountable. <laughs> now you're it's accountable, a... Rabbi, for all of the concepts that you introduced. <laughs> now I'm gonna make you accountable for all. Make of the me accountable. Because it's actually very key to this point. Concept of tangibility. Okay? Okay. Is the only thing that is tangible the thing that I can understand? It's the only thing that is tangible? No. If you Clearly know it, not. It's impossible Clearly to Clearly not, that. right? Okay. Like, there are things that are tangible, in other words, that have a reality to them, a true reality, yeah. that I cannot comprehend. Okay? Yes. Now, different layers. Number one, just on this planet. How the iPhone works. Yes. I have no clue. Right? There's a tangibility. But it's okay. There's there, you know, there's Okay, there's, fine. That's a, that's a very. engineers uh, in Cupertino and whatever. It's fine. You know, they, they write articles about that. But, but really, we, ultimately, I really don't know. But what's interesting right? is. But hold I know on a second. Fred, I'm going to stop you a second. Yeah. But you don't have to know how the iPhone was created in order to use it. I don't have to know exactly. And actually, I would not. say 99.999% of people right. who use iPhones have zero, con- have concept, zero of concept of how the, of the tangibility. How the okay. heck? Now, now, let's do another. Now, next layer. Okay? So there's human beings today in the world that have tangibility notions in their head that are absolutely real and that That's escape right. my understanding, number That's one. That's right. But wait, it gets worse. If I could fast forward the world 200 years from now. Yes. 200 years from now. Yes. Okay? And I see what the human race as a whole it's, it's gonna is be. able to hit. So there are elements of tangibility out there, okay, that nobody in the world today possibly can understand, right? But that are absolutely real, yes. right? But we're still inside the realm of human intelligence, yes. okay? So now we're going, we're going outwards in the layers, okay? Uh, we're extending that, that principle now to... Certain things now, do human beings have unlimited, completely unlimited capacity to understand everything in the cosmos? It's impossible because we are a part of the cosmos. We're one part of it. There's certain layers of perception of reality that insects have that we don't have, okay? So there are probably some things that are tangible, but that human beings as a whole could never understand, right? So tangibility. It's out there, it's out there, it's out there, it's out there. And when we get to this point of the ultimate reason of creation, 
and we say we don't know, we have to understand the limits of our understanding, okay? But I think the key is this, is that we cannot know the ultimate purpose of creation. It's above our pay grade. It's, but we assume that because the entire cosmos has the desire of God behind it, that there is a tangibility out there. But we you, may never know it in a Are you satisfied way. with that answer? Yes. My, my, wait a minute. Be, be careful. So my rational mind... Are you satisfied with that answer? My rational mind... My rational mind is very satisfied with that answer. Are you satisfied with my that answer? My rational mind... I have a question. So... By the way, you're it setting me up. Mean, you're, you're totally setting me it up. It doesn't mean that I don't want to play with the iPhone. It's almost, I want to play with the iPhone. Fred, it's almost as if we had planned this before the class started <laughs> because you're totally setting up the next part of the class. Okay, but I'm just letting you know that... But do you understand what he's saying? Is, my, my, is there a reason? There's no reason. Wait. My wait, rational wait, mind is happy with this. At this point in our study, there's no reason. And it's important to know that there's no answer. That's step one. But is there a reason that we just don't know it? No, Wait. Maybe there's nothing that even resembles you, the reason that we could... Fred's rational mind just set up the next part of the class. Yeah. Okay. We have to first establish there is no answer but at before that point, we go on. What happens at that point that we're at now is that the rational mind is still has its feet on the ground. But it's on the precipice. It's on the cliff. Okay. But its feet is completely on the ground. By the way, we want the rational mind throughout this entire process yeah. to always have its feet on the ground. That's right. So Which means at the moment the rational mind doesn't have its feet on the ground, then we defeated the entire purpose for having this entire study to begin right. with. So right now my feet are firmly on the ground. That's what we want. But I'm on a cliff and I'm overlooking things. I can't see the floor ahead of me. I can't. There's no floor ahead of me. So but now, my feet are firmly on the ground. So now we're, like gonna, we're, we're opening up a new world. That's where I am. We're opening up a new realm of understanding of the entire process of creation. We have to go back to that Midrash. The Midrash Tenchoma that talks about Dira Petach That God desired a dwelling place in the lower realms. That's how we started this class today. And that is how we have to continue. So we've come to the conclusion... We've tried a couple of different options, and we've come to the conclusion at this point that we really have no answer. Why? Because we have limits of our understanding. Now, let's go back. What did the, what's the word that we use? We didn't use the word ratza. Instead, we used the word nisave. Nisave. Nisave comes from the root of the Hebrew word taiva. What is a taiva? This is a new idea. Well, not a new idea. It's very, very close to us. A taiva is a desire beyond rationale. Do you have any idea what's in that ice cream? When you eat it? If you did. If you, read the if you literally, if someone took a can of Coke and pieced it apart and to give you all the ingredients over here and a can of Coke next to it, I guarantee you most people will not touch the can of Coke. If you saw exactly how much sugar literally, in white granulated sugar, is in that one can of Coke, you would never touch it. Yeah, it's a cup. Like this full of sugar. It's a cup. You're literally drinking, you're drinking a cup of sugar. Yeah. It's even worse. You're drinking a cup of corn syrup, mm -hmm. which is even worse than sugar. Mm. So now... Except a Passover. What would a taiva be? In modern culture, we call a taiva a lust. Now, the word lust has a negative connotation because of the sexual nature of our culture. Let's take away the, the, the sexuality of it. Let's just talk about a lust for what a lust is. Mm -hmm. The word taiva means a strong desire that impacts the person in such a way that nothing else does. When you have a taiva for a certain thing, you cannot use your rational mind. You cannot use your rational power of judgment at all. If something smells or tastes good, you want it. You'll do anything and everything to get it. That's the power of a taiva. I mean, it's unbelievable. 
the companies spend millions of dollars to try to take your rational mind out of buying their products. To turn, everybody wants to turn their product into a taiva. Uh, it's not, amazing. Not Steve, just companies. Steve Jobs. Political parties. Political parties. What, what do they say is the brilliance of Steve Jobs? Is he took this little phone here and turned it into a taiva. That's right. That was his brilliance. If it were only about the functionality, then it's boring. But if you turn it into an object of lust... Ideally, we don't want you to think about the things that you do. We'd much rather be you be unconscious. I'll tell you why we'd much rather you, you be unconscious. Because we can sell you more things that way. The moment we make you use your rational mind, we defeated our purpose. We're going to have to work twice or three or four times as hard to figure out a way to get you to buy that thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Anyways, this is like in, in consumer culture, when you start like looking at the 50s and 60s, what they started having is that they no longer started selling products based on the functional um, uh, the thing that the product allows you to do, but they start to define it as this is the kind of person you want to be. This is the kind of, you're, so they show happy people using the product. And it's not even like really about what the product does. It's about, oh, wait a minute, I want to be happy too. So you consume that emotion. You consume that desire. That's what you consume. And that is unlimited. Whereas the functionality, the functionality is limited. Someone, really, like the actual usefulness. Of someone figured out a way yeah. to charge $5.75 for a cup of coffee. Forgot. How crazy is that? For bad coffee. How crazy is that? <laughs> Just because you're walking down the street with a white cup and a green logo that makes you feel good. Nothing to do with the coffee. You can pass by 10 coffee shops on your way there. You know why? Because the rational mind sees limitations. But lust is unlimited. Lust is unlimited. This is... It's never enough. Do you understand why we have to understand lust? Yeah, or as Kabbalah it, explains, it, it, it's the taiva. It's the principle of, of infinity in a sense. It's really our closest, mm. our closest relationship to infinity. Mm. Lust, taiva, I don't like the word lust because of mm. the sexual connotation to it. We're going to use taiva. Taiva is directly related. It's the best we can get. It's, it's, our, it's our base metaphor for infinity because there are so many stupid things. I can tell you stupid things that people do based on taivas. No, but everything is based on taiva. There are a lot of people who end up getting married based on a taiva. There are a lot of people, there's, there, I would say, unfortunately, too many children are born in this world not based on a certain love or principle, principled marriage, but rather based on a taiva. Two people, whatever, all of a sudden, one, one moment of, of something turns into the fact that some kid, oh, oops. But in the Tanya, it says that even if like, the woman wanted to make and everything, like if you don't have the proper like intentions when when you're doing it, 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 it ruins. You're gonna understand. Kabbalah speaks so much about taivas, and and who would ever imagine that 2018 would come? That our culture and our society, which is so taiva oriented, it's like a taiva society. But wait, it's taiva oriented towards limited things. Well, it's towards un- thing, no, it's towards desire. towards towards momentary tivas. No, there's there's momentary tivas, and then there's eternal tivas. So a lot. The thing is like this: the, this this thing right now, okay? This is we call this a tiva. Very nice. It looks nice. It's it's got all the right elements. Somehow our our tiva alert goes on. Our radar is going on, and I want that cookie. I want that rugula right now. But what you're doing is you're orienting your taiva towards a limited thing. So the truth is like this. I know that how long would the taiva last once I have this cookie? Exactly five seconds. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, I'm going to pay the price for it in exactly. so many ways. Exactly. exactly. So, so it's, the, it's the, a the, misorienting of the taiva. The taiva, but that's the way most taivas are. Of course. Most taivas, people, you know, fine, the cookie is right in front of me. The, cof, the cookie costs 50 cents. There are but people who have five-second taivas that cost them fifty thousand dollars. So what, if, what if? So what if two things? What if you could orient your taiva towards a non-limited thing? 
number one. Number two is this limited thing here. Instead of unleashing my taiva towards it, what if I start limiting it? I start putting it in the limited box where it belongs. You're, you're using too much of your rational mind. You've got to be careful here. You know, uh, no, I think I consumerism think culture is not going to like you too much. Uh, consumerism culture. I, I have a foot in consumerism culture, and I have a foot outside of it. And, but it, it consumes human beings, ultimately. Consumerist culture consumes human beings. There are people who, who, who yeah, yeah, will put their, their entire... They'll put their home and their car and everything they own on a table for a five-second taiva. Yeah, that's right. For a five-second taiva, they will gamble away their entire life. We all agree this is craziness. Well, it's for the thrill, I guess. It's a taiva. Yeah, it's that a taiva. thrill is a taiva. It's, it's, it's an intoxication. That's the, that is the power of a taiva. Can right. you imagine? You will take everything stable in your life and throw it away like, like, if you become so taiva-oriented. Drugs is a good example. Well, I drug, can't imagine it. But people drugs. do it. I, I know. I'm just of saying I can't, can I can't imagine it. It's very easy to imagine. And drugs are a very good example of this. Drugs are an amazing example of this. It's, it's, you orient your, your unlimited desire towards the thing, towards that moment that you're going to get, that rush. But the thing that you are consuming imposes actually the, the great limitations on you afterwards, right? There's a price that you're paying for that. So it's a misorienting of the taiva in a way, right? I mean, we agree, right? Ultimately. <laughs> but it's, so it's, let's, let's go to the next. Now that we're starting to understand the power of taiva. By the way, when you get to this point in your study of Kabbalah where you start really getting into the power of taiva, it changes your whole perspective of the world. It already has. The, one of my favorite stories is the, the Alter Rebbe, who was the one who really spoke the most about this idea. So he had a, a, a chassid who was a character. There's a lot of stories about him. One day, he came out of his house, just to give you an idea who this guy was, and he saw the guy hanging upside down by his foot on a rope in front of his house. So he turns to him, his name was Shmuel Monkis, and he says, Reb Shmuel, why are you hanging on a rope upside down in front of my house? So he said, in front of a butcher shop, there's a piece of salami. In front of a, a dress shop, there's a dress. In front of a Rebbe's house, there should be a, a chassid. <laughs> Hanging, you know, like, that was his... That was his uh... That's funny. So, if, at the end of the Rebbe's life, he was running away from Napoleon. Napoleon believed that he was one of the reasons why he was losing... The Alter Rebbe the... is the Baal Shem Tov? No, the Alter Rebbe is, is, is the, the grand successor of the Baal Shem Tov. Okay. The Baal Shem Tov had a student named the Mezutra Magid, Okay. Who had a student named the Alter Rebbe? Oh, okay. So this is the third in line in the Hasidic chain. What's the chain. name of the Alter Rebbe? His actual name. His name was Rebbe Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Uh, Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Okay, okay, okay. He's yeah. the author of Atanya. Yeah, the author of Atanya. He's Fine. majority of yes. Hasidic thought. The Hasidic is, thought today yeah. or originated. The he was, was the, the, the source, but I mean, he. The Alter Rebbe, his he he, he created it, the Chabad Hasidic thought, which was more of the was was more intellectual. Than some of the others, okay. but he he's was still to this day of, still. It was based on the teachings of the Bajan Tov still. Based on the teachings of, the, of his teacher, the Magid, whose teach, who's, who's teachings. Okay. Uh, uh, there was actually a small overlap between the Alter Rebbe and the Bajan Tov, but you mean in terms the, of they they had they uh, an interaction. Yeah, oh, they, yeah, yeah. Wow, they lived in the same time. Okay, for a very small, no, for a few years. Okay, so what? Yeah, huh. go look at the timeline. Let's see. So he's running away from Napoleon and he's hiding in a haystack in someone's backyard. And Shmuel runs out to the haystack and he says, Rebbe, this is this, this character, Rebbe, why are you hiding? So I'm hiding from Napoleon. He says, if you're a Rebbe, then you have no reason to hide. If you're truly a holy man, you have no reason to hide. But if you're not, Napoleon deserves to capture you because what you did to us, that you took away our pleasure in this world, he, he deserves to have you if you're not a Rebbe. <laughs> so either way, there's no reason for you to hide. Exactly. So, the, and, and he was the one who started, I mean, again, the moment, I mean, you just touched the, 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 a little speck of it. But the moment you start getting into Taiva, you look at the world differently. Like, it just... 
the world becomes futile to you. Like, what are you, like, what are you going after? What are you, what are you spending all of your time? Really, that's what you're, that's what you want? You want a fancy car? That's really what you're spending all your time and energy? So you can get a fancy car? That's a liability more than it is a, an investment? And, and you just change your whole methodology in relationship with money and your relationship with material things and your desire for material things. And we're going to get into this. You'll see. Watch, watch as we go through Taiva a little bit. But, but, but the, the, the big idea that I'm sensing there that, 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 that like, I'd like to unearth is the following. Is that, so we try to find rational explanations for the purpose of existence and we couldn't. We ended up with you know what, honestly, like I'm at the precipice. My, my rational mind can't comprehend a purpose. Like any rational construction that I make of the purpose of existence, which is not quite the same thing as a rational explanation for the existence of God. It's a different conversation. We're, 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 it's a totally different conversation. Totally different and, do conversation. Not, and, and do not confuse the two. That's right. So We're not so, trying to rationalize the existence of God. That's right. We're, we're talking about the purpose, the purpose of, creation, of creation. Which we know, like, with creation here, that, like, you know, like, we can sense it and we can... What, what the flippin' heck are we doing that's here? Right, that's, that's what right. we're trying to uncover. So, so that, our, our, our rationalize is that it. So not, then we introduce the concept of, of Nesave, and that's come, that comes from Taiva, that comes from the lust, the lust, the desire that is beyond the rational... It's got a negative connotation, but it means it's a strong desire that impacts the person in a way that nothing else does. When it strikes, you can't use your rational mind. You just want it. You'll do anything and everything to get it. It's beyond the rational mind. It's intimately connected to the concept of infinity and unlimited. It's unlimited desire. Like We know that there is no end to which a tyrant wants power. Because no amount of power is enough. So there, taiva is for power. It's unlimited. It's, 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 right? Where like some people may be like oriented towards money. No amount of money is enough because their taiva is oriented towards money. There is no amount of money. Like billions and billions and billions and billions. And it, like, it'll never stop, right? Because their, their, their taiva was oriented towards... And... You see, it's a little bit connected the way I see with the concept of, uh, of, um, of the problem with idolatry is that when we create a limited thing and we worship it, we put it above us, okay, we are in a sense creating a confusion of the realms because what we're doing is we are taking something that we created and we elevate it above us, okay? And <laughs> Judaism says, no. This is a thing that you created, okay? So it's not above you. You actually are above it, okay? So it's, it's like a mistake. So it's, it's, it's th- that move right there, okay, is a very fertile ground for a lot of ignorance, for a lot of mistakes, for a lot of blindness, for a lot of, you're, you're, you're just creating a big confusion. And, and here, like the idea I see here, when you say it's, it's, the best we can get in terms of the concept of infinity. It's our base metaphor for the concept of infinity, the taiva. So, if we could orient our lust towards, which is, let's call it our infinity principle, towards something that is truly infinite, as opposed to something that is finite, like this Danish, or like money, or like earthly power, or like uh, consumer products, or like Coke, or like whatever, right? that in a sense, we would be aligning our infinity principle with something that is truly infinite. Bing. That, am, I, am I circling the right territory? You understand? It's a big idea. Yeah. It's a huge idea. You have a choice. Think and about it. And, and it's a pretty rational idea. Too. Let's take out the choice of good and bad and put in the choice of how you're going to use your type on. Hmm. Let's just take that and just replace it. Are you going to use your taiva for something that's momentary? Or are you going to use your taiva for something that's eternal? Mm. A momentary thing will give you a momentary pleasure. An eternal thing will give you eternal pleasure. Mm. It's way smarter to orient it towards something that is eternal. I mean, it's just... It's way more harder. It's way harder, but it's way smarter. You know why? Because the things, the taivas that are eternal, take a tremendous amount of self-control in order to be able to have them as taivas. 
you can't just expect by nature you're going to have an eternal taiva. I'm, I'm skipping a little bit, but you get where we're but going. The only way we could, the only way we could really do this, we would have to also be convinced of the tangibility of the infinite. Wait, wait. Not necessarily. Not, watch, watch. Okay, let's let's move on in taiva. Now that we're starting to to wet the palate of the taiva, so to speak. Let's, let's move forward. So the same is true with regards to Hashem's taiva. You, again, using this as a metaphor. God had a taiva to create the world. The purpose of creation is Hashem's taiva. He didn't allow anything to get in his way, including those rational reasons that we just mentioned. So when the question is asked, why did he need this materialistic world? The answer is, God had a positive spiritual lust. God had a positive spiritual taiva. The Alter Rebbe puts it this way. He says, if a taiva is nishken kasha, when you have a spiritual lust, there's no question. Desire transcends questioning. The Alter Rebbe continues. He says, regarding a taiva, there is no question. Why? Because when we talk about Hashem's lust to create the world, there is no why. God creates the why and the answers. It's actually an oxymoron to even talk about the why of the taiva of Hashem's creating the world. Yeah, why should it be reduced? To if Hashem is infinite, then to say that Hashem has to give an answer that is limiting, God, <laughs> you know, to questions and answers, no, to the realm of rationality, which God transcends by definition. Hashem can certainly ask questions. Hashem can certainly give answers whenever He wants. But to say that humans must be given a why is limiting. We can't even ask a question. We don't even know what the question is. <laughs> and it contradicts the, ide- the entire idea that Hashem can create anything. Such a limited God would not be the God of the Torah. I mean, a lot of times the problem with, uh, with answering a question is contained in the question itself. What is the purpose of creation? Okay, so assumptions. One, there is a purpose. Two, there is only one purpose. Three, there is only and one purpose that I can understand. No, the best is the best of the... Hey, and there's four, a ton of assumptions in there. Fred, that Fred might four. all be wrong. There's only... The purpose has to agree with my purpose. But that purpose no, which means if, that, if I don't accept the purpose, then it doesn't exist. Well, the purpose has to be understandable to me. That's right. First of all, the purpose has to be understandable to me. Four, the purpose has to be acceptable to me. Which must I mean, mean that I am the greatest thing so that ever I happened am, since... I am above God, in a sense, right? Which is like, no, you were, your parents gave birth to you in like 1970-whatever, and like the cosmos was created. Like, no, it's, it's exactly... You're not there. It's, <laughs> the, it's, like, it's, like, it's like God's answer to Joe, like... Where were you? Like, were you there with me when I created the... Like, come on, man, relax. It's, it's exactly... And in, in, in the Kabbalah gives them the metaphor of a table. Right after it's created, it stands up and says, thank you very much. And the, 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 the carpenter says, where are you going? He's like, what do you mean? I'm going, going to see the world. There's a world out there. See you later. He's like, I just made you. No, you didn't. You liar. I didn't see you make me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It says here. It says here about like the uncertainty principle that like we can't see something with like either we measure it or we see like where it is or we see the speed of it. And then like the it says uh, Yitzchak Ginsburg he he points out that the Torah says that in in Job in Job where he says that uh, God does know like the path and um, and her place. Exactly. We don't know. We don't know. What do you mean? I just made you table. No, you didn't. What do you mean you, I didn't? I just spent the past three months forming and fashioning you from a, from a, a tree stump. 
And you're telling me that I didn't? I never saw that. <laughs> I wasn't there. Of course you weren't there. You weren't created yet. But why would we have, why would we ever think that we have the equipment to understand the creation of something that is just way bigger than us? The same reason why... Why? The, why, why do we expect... It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing. I mean, the power of the human mind is such that it goes all the way to stupidity. It's I, like... It's like I, was in a, I, was, I happened to be privileged to a room uh, with a conversation. They, I was brought by a couple who was looking, uh, going through in vitro, and they had, needed a uh, rabbinic guidance with regards to in vitro. So they brought me with them to the meeting. And the, the doctor was kind of joking, but in this very kind of twinkle in his eye way, he said, what do you want, a boy or a girl? Mm. And it just like, it stabbed me a little bit, like, who are you? Yeah. What do you think? It's kind of like that... The God complex. The, 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 it's more than the God complex. It's like, eventually, they're going to say to God, you know, we can make babies. We don't need you anymore. And God's going to turn to them and says, okay, show me. And they're going to say, look, you take DNA. He says, go get your own DNA. <laughs> you know, why do you think, doctor, that, that you now are God? Because you can say, look, to, look at the couple and smile and say, what would you like, a boy or a girl? Really? That's what it's about? You know the answer to that question? The actual answer to that question is because as a civilization, we have decided that we're going to reduce the only thing that exists are the material things that we can understand. That's, that's it, because we're materialists. That's why. that's why we think that we can endlessly shape it and it's all we're the bosses of it. And yet, yet we can't figure out basic things like mental illness and uh, cure for cancer. I mean, just, we can't figure out things that are even way more basic than that. I'm just saying. You know, like, like, you know, if you want to try to... We, we can't figure out really basic things through that material design. Like, really basic. Like, how you should treat human beings to have a better life. Like, that already escapes materialist culture completely. What was it? You exist? Right, that's right. What do you mean you yeah, exist? What do you mean you exist? Maybe it's just like the multiverse. Yeah. Yeah, so, and you're just like a speck of dust in the cosmos, and like you're going to die anyway, so who cares? So well, we don't even have the conversation. Let's just finish this idea of taiva, because we can go on it for a couple of hours, but I want to just finish this element of taiva, yeah. and then we'll, we'll continue taiva next week. So, we, we just decided that limiting God that way would not be the God that we would want. This would be the who involved with creation. Since the reason for creation comes from God, who's beyond human reasoning. So the part of God involved in creation is the true, absolute essence of God. It's similar to a person who has a particular taiva. Stop and ask him. Where's your taiva coming from? He's not going to be able to give you an answer because the taiva is coming from a place within the person that transcends questions and answers. It comes from the essence of the person. It's amazing. You want to truly understand your essence? You want to understand your purpose in this world? You want to understand you, who you are? Think about what your taivas are. That is going to give you a good inkling to who you are today. And you're going to find over time. You know, there was a point in time that you had a taiva for a little doll or a truck that was made of plastic. Today you look at it and you smile. You're like, oh, that's so cute. But there was a point in time that you do anything for it. What do you mean? And if you look at a child, you'll see what they'll do for a little piece of plastic that they can play with for, and usually, what are they, and they're, they're that taiva is like any other taiva. How long do they play for that, with that thing once you give it to them? Five seconds, 20 minutes, whatever it is. It's a taiva, it's a real taiva. But today your taiva is more advanced. Today you're interested in other things. You have a taiva for more advanced things. What if they say the difference between men and boys is the price of their toys? <laughs> Taivas become more expensive, they become more... So as so, just evolution, without working on yourself, without becoming a better person, evolution is going to make your, your taivas more complex. 
So imagine if you add the element of working on yourself and becoming a more refined person, that's also gonna change your tibus. And you're gonna look, as you work on yourself, the way you know who you are is when you look back and you can see what was my taiva a year ago and what is my taiva today. That is gonna be a great example. If you ever wanna look at yourself and kind of self-analyze, you'll be able to, to see that. What, what is the actual root of that word in Hebrew? We said. Tet, like how, does it, how is it spelled? Taiva, the same way Teva is spelled. The same way Teva is spelled. Really? Huh. <laughs> we haven't gotten to that part yet, but you're, you're, you're jumping ahead over here, but yes. Teva's nature. I know. Understand? Nature may not be so natural. Well, that's gonna. That's nature is is uh, indomitable desire, thrust, transrational thrust forward. If it's anything at all, right? I mean, today, like environmentalism, we like to reduce nature. Oh, poor nature. We, we defang it. You just look at how, when a building is abandoned, how fast yeah. it just nature, nature takes, takes over. over. Like within, oh, yeah. within weeks, there and, are there are trees growing growing through yeah. the uh, through, through the ground. Yeah, oh yeah. Through the floors, there's it will there's consume like, that building. Like, yeah. Amazing, huh? The power, so to this week, I want you to think about the power of a taiva. What are your taivas? And think about what your taivas were a few years ago and see if your taivas have changed or if they haven't changed. Think about. Can you send it to the store? No. Thank you.